Hello, Bitcoiners. Colin here. In this episode of the Unhashed Podcast, how much more money can SV and ABC miners burn before they give up on the pissing contest? Sometimes dependencies aren't as dependable as you might think. Can software wallets ever be secure when they routinely rely on node packages to speed up development? And have we found the very first ICO, somehow dating all the way back to 1993? Find out the answers to these and other questions in this week's episode of the Unhashed Podcast. See you on the other side. It's the Unhashed Podcast. Colin, Brian, Ruben, Mario. It's the Unhashed Podcast. Telling everything that they know about the world of Bitcoin. The world of Bitcoin. Where they don't trust, they verify. You can fork yourself if you don't abide. Talking whales and bear whales, oh. Stupid ICOs, Colin, Brian, Ruben, and Mario. It's the Unhashed Podcast. The Unhashed Podcast. It's the Unhashed Podcast. The Unhashed Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Unhashed Podcast, the show where we bring crypto down to earth and cut through all. The blockchain bullshit. I'm your host, Colin Alds, and I'm here with your co-host, Ruben the Windmill Thompson. How's it going, Ruben? Hey, man, I'm good. Good, good. Mario. Doing great. How's everyone out there? Oh, I, I cut you off. Sorry, you, you said Mario. It was a long Never class. cut me off until I finished your nickname. I, I apologize. Never you again, want, or you're, you you're do out it of again? the podcast. You okay, yeah. Again? Mario. The Maple Leaf. Give me. How's it going, Mario? Uh, scared, but uh, yeah, I hope everyone's doing well. Well, as you should be. It's uh, my. I'm only happy when you're scared. Uh, and my brother, Brian, the belt buckle. Alls, how's it going, Brian? Howdy to everybody out there in Radio Land. Yep, 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 yep. What's yep. radio? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. In podcast land. I can't believe people still listen to the radio. I'm I'm always amazed when I get in someone's car and they've got FM 97.3 running on the radio. And I think, what year is this? Who it's are you? It's those catchy jingles. They just love listening to commercials every five minutes. So that's why. Yeah, unbelievable. How, I do how love anyone, a good jingle. How anyone listens to radio or watches cable television anymore just blows my mind. And then pays like 80 bucks a month for it. It's crazy. Anything uh, new this week? Uh, I want to start with Ruben. How's it, what's been up with you, Ruben? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I was absent last week. Uh, that was because I was at a conference, uh, a Providence uh, conference for, well, it was meant for more a technical audience, but it ended up being kind of an ICO fest, uh, as always. <laughs> um, that was kind of cool. Uh, I mean, it was fun, like not the ICO part, but um, I gave a presentation there. Um, which was uh, basically blockchains don't scale. So that was that was fun to talk about. I only had 15 minutes. Uh, they they booked a lot of speakers, so there, there was uh, not a lot of time. And I had some dude uh, before me who, uh, who was the, the crypto guy, and he went way over time. And he just 
mentioned a bunch of buzzwords and saying like, we want tokens for everybody about everything and we want them to connect with tokens in a token universe. That was pretty much his story. Um, and uh, right after me, there was this Ethereum dude who uh, basically was uh, talking about proof of stake. And uh, in my presentation before that, I had just completely dissed proof of stake. So that was kind of hilarious. A friend of mine said he saw his face go sour as I was uh, describing uh, how proof of stake does not work. Um, and we did a panel there uh, with uh, Ricardo Spagni and uh, a bunch of other guys that nobody knows, but... Um, <laughs> uh, we talked about, uh, well, there was a professor from uh, a Korean university and there was a, a, a guy, a Graham, he's a friend of mine. Uh, he, do, he does some weird coin thing. I don't know. And um, uh, we talked about uh, zero knowledge proofs and privacy. Uh, that's a, That was a pretty interesting panel. And I'm hoping it will be online. Uh, if it does come online, I'll have a link for people maybe next week. But right now it, it's not there. So. Is it actually pronounced Spagny? I've been saying Spagny for like two years now. I, I, I don't know. It's um, you know, fluffy, I just I call believe. him Fluffy, yeah. right? I just call yeah. him Fluffy, give him a big hug, and you know, it's like, hey, that's that's all, that's all you gotta know. It's the, that man love, you know. He's, he's yeah. into hugs. Yeah. Is he? I'm always into he's that very, man. He's love. very huggable. Yeah, he's he very is huggable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a lot. He's a lot of man, which which is you know more to go around. So. Or please, and uh, please ironically, they uh, they misspelled my last name. So my my name at the panel is Ruben Samson. Oh, oh. Well, that's not the worst thing to get uh, to get incorrect. No. I, guess, so. <laughs> I guess it's like Samson Mao, maybe I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but it was just, it was just funny. Are you that's related? Embarrassing. Nope, not at all. <laughs> not not quite Asian looking me. Uh, yeah. Well, Ruben, well, Ruben um, you are our token Asian on the. Uh, I, I'm only Asian on the inside, but not on the so outside. You're a, what's the word? What's the opposite of a banana? I thought we were going to uh, try and remain more focused in these shows. I guess that's, <laughs> that's, that's going to fail <laughs> no, miserably. This is, this is important. Right, moving to- <laughs> on. <laughs> Mario, uh, what's, been, what's been up with you this week, man? Um, yeah, just uh, did my final talk in Vancouver um, where I, I kind of realized I tried to tackle a bit too much stuff in a single talk. I kind of uh, went through different types of blockchains and why all proof of work is the only, it's like really the only solution that we have for the double spend problem. And then I like, yeah, I launched into like uh, alternative uses for blockchain other than money, of which there aren't really that many. And then tried to intro people to the side chains. Uh, if I do that again, I'm definitely going to split those up into two or three talks. But um, that seems like yeah, an ambitious I mean, uh, single talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the good thing was like uh, most of the people who were showing up at that point, like that was the sixth of my six talks, and um, like three quarters of the people there had seen, um, you know, uh, all of the previous ones, or like all but one of the previous one. So they were kind of already familiar with like you know. Um, I kind of knew where the base knowledge was at and they're familiar kind of with how like the sort of the abstract diagrams I use and stuff. So I was able to speed through stuff pretty quickly. There was, there was Did one, you scare away a lot of people well, with your previous five presentations? Um, <laughs> Everybody's uh, well, actually, it's board. been kind of consistent. I mean, the, the first one, maybe <laughs> cool, like cool. eight people showed up and then it's been like 12 to 15 with the rest of them. So like oh, not actually nice. considering yeah. it's a bear market, actually, I was pretty pleased. Like, you know, usually like the price is going down, you get like four people showing up, price is going up, you'll get 40 for any kind of crap people put on um but uh it was good there was one guy who was new like i cut at the beginning i was like is anyone here just completely new to bitcoin and uh so this one guy put up his hand and i was like okay i was like you can stop me as much as you want and i'll try and like 
bring things back for you, but uh, this might be a little tough to follow. And he was like, oh, no, I'll be fine. And then he slept through the entire thing. He, just, he fell asleep, like, right at the beginning and didn't wake up until, like, two hours later and we were done the talk and, like, discussions and everything. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, that went well. And then I'm just uh, just preparing for my trip. It's uh, coming up. Uh, so for December and uh, beginning of January, I'll be, uh, I'll be away from Canada's West Coast. I'll be in uh, London, England for a bit. Um, and I guess Scotland for a few days and then Toronto for Christmas. Uh, so yeah, if you're listening to this and you're in any of those places, uh, find me on Twitter. Let's, let's meet up. I like, I always like finding the other, uh, the other Bitcoiners out there and, uh, meeting people in meet space, but yeah. And you'll still be uh, with us to podcast, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. We're going to try and figure out time, but, uh, I fully intend to, uh, show up and, and say things into a microphone. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, lay it on me. Oh, man. It's been a, a busy uh, week at Bill Foddle. We had uh, gearing up for Black Friday, and then we had Black Friday and the fulfillment marathon that went on uh, last night and today. So um, by the time people are hearing this, uh, Cypher, we renamed Cyber Monday. For, for us, it's Cypher Monday. Uh, in honor of cypherpunks. Um, so, yeah, Cypher Monday will be, uh, the sun will have set on the best deals of the year, but... Uh, uh, so By the time we, you're listening to this, yeah, the, deals, yeah, they, the deals will be done. They're done. It, it, They're if, into the ether. But I'm sending out my psychic message to all the hodlers out there that yeah. you have about three hours left on this sale so yeah or if anyone's like hiding in someone's closet and is eavesdropping on this you can you can still then they would know know, yeah yeah Yeah. then you could get it yeah yeah very good point very good point put them all in the mail so it was fun well uh if if uh that'll do it i guess i guess i haven't really talked about me i've kind of been doing the same thing been um doing lots of graphic design uh for all the various announcements for black friday and for Cypher Monday, and then also I've spent a good deal of time, mostly today, um, creating images for a sort of um, how do you describe it? We're, we're hopefully collaboration. Yeah, we're we're on a collaboration with a Swiss exchange, and um, and uh, it's sort of a a very very in depth um, document for really. Complicated, but uh, that complicated is a is a bad word. Um, a very involved series of backups uh, for people with lots and lots of money. Um, so that has been challenging artistically to get right, and especially with my limited but growing arsenal of graphic design skills, I'm I'm fairly proud of what. I've done with it so far today, so um, that's been interesting, and uh, hopefully you guys will be able to see that pretty soon. It'll it'll be available for everyone to look at for free, so if you want to replicate it, then you can. Um, so that's been that's been my week. So nothing to nothing else too exciting going on there. So uh, with that, I think we can move into the news wrap up. And this week it's pretty pretty light, uh, but there's a few juicy topics. So I think this is, I think I'm going to like this news wrap up because it's, it's short, but full of sweetness. So, uh, we've got five items on the list. Uh, number one, 
a supposed loophole in the Ethereum code, although, uh, well, I'll read you the tweet from Coindesk where I first read it, and then when I looked into it a bit more, it seemed like a little bit sensational. So they said, just in, cybersecurity firms level K, Trail of Bits, and IC3 found attackers could drain multiple exchanges of their Ethereum holdings due to a loophole in the platform's code. Story to come. Now, that platform's code part right there was the... uh, uh, potentially misleading part, I think, because my reading of that was that there was some vulnerability in the Ethereum code. But it sounds like upon further reading that this was uh, a a vulnerability in some of the exchanges code. But um, I have a feeling you guys might be able to enlighten me a little bit more on that. Um, yeah, it's uh, quite uh, convoluted how the uh, how the uh, problem works, but essentially, it seems like if you are sending um, ether from an exchange to an address that you own, uh, there is some kind of contract involved with the address that you're sending it to, and the exchange has to estimate a fee. And apparently, the way it works in Ethereum, uh, I'm not I'm no expert on it, but they can basically set aside a certain amount for fees, and if that amount is really big then the person who's receiving the money can kind of waste a ton of fees. And that's uh, essentially the uh, the bug here where you can get an exchange to pay a ridiculous amount of fees just by withdrawing some Ether from them. And apparently there is also some kind of contract that kind of turns fees into this other token. So you can even profit from it by having them burn uh, the fee money, basically, and then get that token, and you can sell the token on the market. And uh, yeah, there there's some more, even more convoluted attacks you can do with this. My general feeling about this is that why the hell does it even work like this? Why, why are you giving a sort of fee maximum and then allowing the contract to just take however much you want. And one of the uh, solutions they they gave was that the exchanges should set a limit. And if the limit has been reached, then at that point you should, you know, manually do something and and fix it. But that sounds terrible for exchanges as well because you want to automate this process. You don't just want to send something and then fail and then figure out why it failed and, and deal with that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, it goes to kind of uh, show, I think, the uh, complexity of even doing a, something as simple as just sending some money and how 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 complex that can be, right? Like that should be the simplest thing you can do on a blockchain and move money from A to B and and, and somehow uh, on Ethereum, they, they managed to make that complicated. Yeah, uh, I know there is a a way you can put in a gas limit on the transactions on Ethereum. So I'm assuming that the exchanges were just setting a really high gas limit so that they wouldn't have to go back in and do that manual editing. But right. um, I, I have lost some Ethereum due to the complexities of the Ethereum blockchain. So I can, uh, I can sympathize with uh, the, uh, the sentiment of wanting to keep it simple. Um, yeah, and and this is just uh, you know this is still just sending and receiving, and uh, you know it gets much more convoluted once you're an exchange and you have to deal with all these accounts and and moving money from one to another. Like it's a very uh, complicated system, and I've, I've spoken to uh, a couple of exchanges, and they've they've all complained about the uh, the difficulty in managing managing this kind of thing. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I lost it on uh, trying to we at we. Subsequently, successfully bought, but uh, Bill Foddle.eth on uh, the ENS system, 
Uh, but it was just like a really convoluted bidding process. So, uh, I don't know, kind of neither here nor well, there for this story, but it just <laughs> very, very convoluted. URL. What was that, Ruben? Oh, I said, at least you got your immutable URL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's there now. I don't think we've even done anything with it. Um, <laughs> Man, this reminds uh, me of Namecoin. Whatever happened to Namecoin? I, I'm not sure. I remember it was, uh, they, I think they tried merged mining and they didn't get enough uh, miners on board. So they were just very weak and very attackable. And that kind of just kind of made it fail. But also I think there's just no interest. Like even though, it, it, you know, it, it's not a terrible use case having uh, some kind of domain name system on a blockchain. That seems somewhat viable because you're only dealing with information, right? There's nothing like external that you need to take care of. But yeah, even with this, it's just like, you know, the system today, it works well enough. So nobody really switches. I think that's generally where you, where you end up. What, what is the, I've always been a little curious about what the point of the gas is on the Ethereum blockchain. I mean, why, why can't you just, uh, it, is it, is yeah, it providing the, the same mechanism that, that, just paying Bitcoin for fees is on the Bitcoin blockchain? Yeah, that is, that is a good question. It is just like a fee, except it's slightly more complex because in Ethereum, the uh, contracting language basically uh, is, uh, you know, Turing complete and you can build anything you want. So it's actually very difficult to pre-estimate how much you're going to pay in terms of fees. So if you, if you send some money and there's some kind of contract, then depending on how the contract executes... Uh, you may end up paying more or less. And that is what gas is about. Gas is paying for the calculations that you don't know that you're going to make ahead of time. And that, you know, that kind of unpredictability, that is like one of the, uh, really one of the key pitfalls of uh, of Ethereum, where you just don't know uh, how much you're going to spend on a transaction. And if it's not enough, you're going to have to pay extra. And, and, and is gas in Ethereum the same as gas in, say, something like Neo, where it's a separate coin itself, or is it just the name for the fee you're paying in Ethereum? Gas is still Ether. Uh, the 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 reason they they have it give it a different name is because they have kind of uh, for every operation you do, there's a certain amount of of cost associated to it, and and that is that is somehow pegged to a, a, a gas unit. So it's just kind of a way of talking about. Um, are uh, no no matter w- whether you kind of make an, uh, all the operations more or less expensive in terms of ETH, uh, the number of the amount of gas it costs can still be the same. So so it's just kind of a way to uh, to to talk about mm-hmm. it in a, in, a, in a way that's separate from uh, the general kind of like fee pricing. Mm, okay, got it. Understood. Um, item number two: the aftermath of the BCH fork. Uh, the drama continues. Uh, with the Bitcoin Cash fork uh, and SV and ABC, I think Mario might have um, put this item on the list because uh, you were the one that linked me to this. Uh, I can't remember if it was an article or a graph or something like that. No, talking it's about uh, how much- bit, yeah. Well, Bitmax Research has it's had an ongoing uh, Twitter thread. I guess they stopped a few days back, just like like estimated costs for each uh, for each side of the the BCH split. And like how much money they had burned mining, and you know the last time they posted it had been somewhere between eight point nine million and eleven million dollars, just like lost on this, you know, really pointless, um, you know, hash war they're calling it. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, it seems to have settled down a bit. You know, now it's only, let's see if I can bring it up, you know, last I saw, instead of it being like, you know, 350 times more profitable to mine than BTC compared to like Bitcoin SV, now it's only like, <laughs> um, you know, 30% more profitable. Like it's, um, uh, yeah, actually, no, I'm looking at it here for the first time now. It's actually, the, it seems like that whole kind of, I don't know what to call it, um, what word do we use to describe what happened over the last week or so? Um, uh, I don't know, like uh, a mess. <laughs> it was a shit show. Like there's a hash war going uh, on. A, a and clusterfuck, perhaps? Split. I mean, like I, I kind of, well, in my mind, the whole thing was going to end once they started reaching equilibrium for profitability. And that seems to be just starting to happen now. Like, um, uh, you know, you can go on that site, that fork.lol site that, uh, you yeah, know, has yeah. existed since the Bitcoin cash split. Um, last year that tracks profitability on both uh, chains. And they stay like roughly, you know, within a decent range of each other. Um, you know, as miners. Like I mean, just back. just yesterday I took a screenshot and it showed that the uh, on the BSV side they were, uh, you know, mining twice as much as they were getting back in terms of profits, uh, at least compared to the BTC chain. So mining BTC would have been yeah two times more profitable, but they were mining BSV anyway. Yeah, so there, there's still some ridiculous stuff like that going on at the moment. Uh, and I think they're also, you know, playing a lot with the price and trying to pump it and yeah. dump it on the other side. So, you know, there's so many ways in which they can try to manipulate it, not just the mining. Uh, but yeah, it is absolutely terrible and they're, they're wasting a ton of money in, in a way that it just, it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I think that's an important point that like, there's two sides of it that they, and they can influence both sides because like, okay, you go on fork.lol and it says, I, and I'm looking at it right now, it's actually more profitable to mine one of the BCH chains. I, I don't, I don't know how. Yeah. Bitcoin exactly ABC has recently, like they, their hash powers dropped a lot and they got a small price boost. So it actually, it is slightly more profitable now. So because of the price boost, then it's more profitable. So, you know, if they want to kind of manipulate it to pull more miners on their side, then they can try to depress the price of BTC relative to the price of uh, BCH. So, uh, yeah, it seems like uh, right now they're trying to maybe cause a flippening on the side of uh, BSV versus BCH, and uh, you know if they can get uh, BSV to be worth more, that might you know cause people to be more bullish on, on the BSV side, and that might help them out or something like that. So, I think that's kind of currently the attack or or method they're going for in order to try to win. Yeah, it's been interesting as well. Like the the like. Yeah, just the the fact that they've been able to throw so much uh, mining power at it, and um, like uh, comparing the profitability on the different chains, um, I, I it was already surprising enough that they kept on adding hash power when it was like three hundred times more value or profitable on the BTC chain. But then, like profitability on the BTC chain has been going way down as well with the price crash. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, a lot of miners must have really lost a lot of money, not just the uh, the BCH guys, but also, you know, uh, miners with like low profit margins. Like a lot of them must be switching off their machines now. Yeah. Uh, the um, hash rate has been falling on the main chain. Um, there was a tweet out about selling old miners for scrap. Um, there was kind of some back and forth about the uh, veracity of of that happening, but I think 
that's kind of one of the signs I've been looking for for the bottom as far as like when we start seeing a mass exodus from mining and and I think we'll know that that's actually happening by uh, seeing like relatively new equipment, you know, some of the, the, you know, not the brand new, um, like what, what is the new, like six nanometer, nine nanometer, not that, but like the, the previous, you know, what was new in like late 17, um, when we see that up for sale on eBay at like, you know, fire sale prices, then we'll know that like all a lot of mining is has left the building. And what's interesting is that it, it shows that apparently there is uh, more cheap electricity than there are machines, right? Because the reason you use old machines is if, let's say your electricity costs literally zero. Well, then any machine, even if it's an inefficient miner, is better than no miner, assuming your, your electricity is infinite, which obviously it's not. You have some limited amount of cheap electricity. And uh, apparently... You know, these old miners were still being used and only now is that threshold being met where we have those those old miners just not being profitable anymore. And only if you have the newest hardware, you're still profitable. And if you think about it, like even if your electricity cost was zero, because, you know, we were uh, I was thinking about, you know, did some profit analysis on, on stuff like this, even even if you could get the electricity for free, um, there's still other costs associated with it. Um, like fixed costs, space and yeah, you know, like storage costs. I'm yeah, generators and some guy to go make sure that they were running correctly and all that type of stuff. So, um, you know that all plays into the cost too. That should be pretty minor though, right? Like, I mean, you can't really not pay for like you still need the location unless you're really going to close shop uh, permanently. But if you want to keep the location, you're going to just kind of pay rent, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how long-term your long-term is yeah but i agree there there are some more costs there yeah i mean uh another thing we could uh, touch on was uh ruben uh you tweeted recently about uh the the uh, widespread or the not so widespread nature of the new uh uh new rules in abc so there's the uh the, the 10 block deep reorg protection and I, I did we didn't talk about this last week did we or i think we might have no. touched on it um, Can you go into what that was, what the ten block yeah, rework yeah. is, Ruben? Yeah, or oh, maybe I can uh, ex- explain the tweeting fine, in its entirety because. It oh, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, man. Uh, I mean, I, I I was assuming you were uh, you were setting me up for for an explanation, but uh, yeah, no, I'll I'll just explain it. Um, so basically, uh, the um, the first thing was the the hard fork, right? Because the hard fork itself already uh, caused a lot of nodes to go offline. So I just took a look at the, look at the numbers and and checked like which nodes are running which version. So the first thing is you have uh, ABC version zero point seventeen and zero point eighteen, and zero point eighteen is the hard fork. Zero point seventeen is before that. So if you're still running zero point seventeen today. Uh, you're basically off the network. You're running a node, but your node is not connected to anything, not receiving any blocks. And uh, to my surprise, even that number was still very high. It was still 25%. So 25% of the uh, the, uh, the nodes that were at least measurable. And, and this, uh, just to be fair, this is a number that is kind of uh, mani- ma- manipulatable. So it, it's not super accurate, but it's accurate enough to just kind of see that there's something seriously wrong. 25% of the, of the nodes just straight out gone, right? Hard forked, not relevant anymore. 
And uh, this number might have been higher, right? Those people also just went offline entirely, perhaps. Uh, and then on top of that, basically uh, on the BCH, uh, uh, yeah, on the BCH side, they did two uh, what we would call soft forks, uh, but they're not really obvious soft forks. So the first one was a checkpoint after the hard fork. Uh, the reason this is a soft fork is because if uh, the majority of the nodes enforce this checkpoint, then it kind of uh, it kind of ensures that the majority of the of the hash rate is also following the checkpoint. And that if statement is very important, right? If the majority of the full nodes uh, enforce it, and that's where the trouble came in. Uh, looking at those numbers, it's even more terrible. It's it like it's not not just like a twenty five or seventy five percent number. It is actually only twenty percent of the full nodes, and, and that is actually a generous estimate uh, because I'm not even counting the BU nodes, which would make it like closer to ten percent of the network. Only let's say ten to twenty percent is enforcing uh, that hard fork checkpoint. And what that means is that if miners go and they uh, go back in time and they ignore that checkpoint, then we'll have basically two uh, two nodes uh, or two versions of the network. We have a, basically it, it creates a hard fork where uh, 80% of the network uh, is on one chain and 20% is on uh, the other chain. And ironically, the minority fork there is the people that actually upgraded. And this gets even worse for the uh, for the ten block uh, soft fork that they did, which is basically every ten blocks they just automatically put in a checkpoint, and that is only enforced by five to ten percent of the nodes. So that's even worse and even easier to exploit because going back all the way to the hard fork point, that's a long time ago, but just going ten blocks back in time will cause a hard fork essentially. So is this just from node operators not you know clicking the the upgrade button? Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. So, okay. That is true. And, but I mean, obviously, like the first thing is that it's already like crazy that they have to do that. Um, and it, really, what only matters is the people that have, uh, you know, uh, some kind of uh, uh, use case for their node, right? If you just run a full node and you're not really using it financially, then it doesn't really matter. So you know, one thing that was uh, was pointed out in in in, in, a, in the Twitter discussion uh, by uh, Shores Provost, uh, he said um, that it's really the exchanges that need to upgrade, right? If the exchanges are upgraded, then probably that's all that matters. And that again also shows like a lot of centralization actually around the fact that the the exchanges are kind of the ones who are in charge of the uh, the the financial situation. So I, I made a similar point with the upgrade from the the. Bitcoin bug about how you know it's only if you're having uh, you know financial transactions on your node where it really matters, but <laughs> it is kind of a sad state where uh, it's only ninety five nodes that have upgraded um, to you know the latest uh, ten block rule. So definitely something. Uh, could be exploited there, I think, or just to prove a point, not not to like cause chaos, but kind of like the Bitcoin classic. You, you need to have a significant number of people actually using it for stuff in order to, um, you know, actually cause chaos. And you know, it, there's there's still almost no traffic. So yeah, it would it would be purely to I think make a point rather than to actually. I mean, I, I guess you you could also screw over exchanges by um by trying to double spend them, but like. Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean it's. Uh, I'm not sure how much chaos would be caused, like even more so than the the 
the, the present uh, other than the last week has had anyways. One of you was asking about like the tickers, like what tickers is going to be applied to each coin. And CZ says that, for, and he's from Binance, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you do, that he's not going to award either side the BCH ticker. Well, he was saying before as well, like he, he's pretty pretty clearly he doesn't want to deal with this mess. He, um, I think he had a tweet earlier on that was just like, all right, let's just get this hard fork over with. Um, and yeah, he was like, okay, we're going to call him BT, you know, BCABC, sorry, BCHABC and BCHSV. And he was just like, and that's what they're staying as until after the fork. Um, which, I mean, I think it's good that these services are, like, I mean, yeah, the, like it's a huge pain for um, exchanges and, and wallets that want to support multiple currencies to have to deal with these hard forks. But the irony, the irony is, is that they kind of started this or they at least encouraged it early on back last year in August, whenever it was that, that Bitcoin Cash forked and Segwit2x didn't go through. I mean, they were, they have been gunning for this and it's kind of like, well, they kind of create a monster in a way. It's hard to say, it's hard to say they, because I mean, I think they did the wallet and, and exchange, um, like there's so many different ones that I think it's really hard to group them. Like, you know, um, but yeah, for the, well, yeah, I mean, there's apparently like 20,000 exchanges or something like that number. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, like, um, and and actually like at, at green address, I know like that we took a lot of flack and like mostly before I showed up for only supporting Bitcoin. And we were like, we're not going to support any of these other, um, these other forks like, you know, um, then there were like open source tools out there so people could manually split them if they wanted. And, uh, and now I think we're probably going to see more and more exchanges, wallet providers insisting that, no, we're not going to, we don't want to support these kind of things anymore. Um, yeah, which is like, you know, and I think that was kind of inevitable that this stuff happens enough because if you're a user, yeah, on the one hand, you, you're going to complain and be like, no, I want both of my coins. You're holding these for me. Um, and uh, then who are the exchanges going to blame? Are they going to tell their users to fuck off? Like, no, because they want they don't want to lose, uh, uh, you know, clientele. Um, so they're going to have to kind of direct that irritation somewhere. And I think by, um, yeah, I think it's interesting how, how CZ went about it. He was just like, you know, because he knows that their brand is like so important to them. So now the fact that their ticker is like a derivative of a derivative of Bitcoin, <laughs> um, like that's a, that's kind of I don't know. I think that's a big blow for their whole narrative. So I don't know. I was excited to see that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And you know, it's it's kind of crazy because they have to install all these full notes softwares that they might not even trust. And there have been hacks in the past with these altcoins just having like some kind of like you know virus inside of their uh, full node software and then you install it on your uh, on your exchange and if you're not uh, sufficiently partitioned like they should be like running them in separate instances and they should not be connected to each other but if they are uh, somehow connected to each other they can basically access you know the the inside of the exchange and execute a hack from there like like this kind of stuff happened and and can happen so it's just it's just there's lots of problems there i've noticed that now the SV camp has decided since they kind of lost the quote unquote hash battle war or whatever, um, they've now shifted to say that like that's fine. They don't want to be BCH. They are the true Bitcoin. So oh, I, think I love that, that. I love that. That's <laughs> that's as, that, that's kind of what we were predicting, talking about what like three weeks ago now that 
like both camps would vie for, for both being name. BCH that's, that's and a, vie for being the, the real Bitcoin. That's a hilarious maneuver saying to them, all right, fine, you guys are Bitcoin Cash. We're Bitcoin then. I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's great. All power to them. It's great. It's great politicking. Yeah, and it's also great as like uh, you know as proponents of the BTC chain. I don't think we're really worried that like Bitcoin SV is really going to be able to you know no. do much no. at this oh, point. Never. Like you know, like the only thing that like you know BCH had going forward, a it had you know it had a very wealthy ideologue who owned Bitcoin.com, and then it had you know skewed incentives thanks to ASIC Boost. So you know this very very large player Bitmain kind of backing it and that's really why it's done as well as it had it's like without those two things it was also the first fork right or the first the first notable fork i sure say sure yeah fork. yeah i guess the, the the fact that it got to set the precedent like um that's definitely a bonus but like sv has none of that it's got like it's got the guy everybody knows is a con man it's got and like i mean i guess they have a lot of money are you talking about ire are you talking about right um <laughs> i was talking about right but i guess Iyer's not too far behind and <laughs> yeah, although what's what is exciting is apparently Calvin Ira and I are uh hometown buddies. Uh we're from the same uh same tiny town in the middle of nowhere in uh You're just a small Grays. town you're just small town boys. Yeah. Um living so, in a lonely world. Anyways, so hopefully lonely I can maybe I should reach out to him and see if I can get invited to his yacht or something. Yeah, pen pal. Um, I I think um <laughs> I think I would have fun partying with him actually. I um I mean I don't Probably. know. If he, yeah, I know. What do you think, Ruben? If if Calvin and I were invited you to hang out with him and party on his yacht, would you? I, I would think you go? he'd have an amazing yeah. time doing drugs and and partying. I asked, on his I asked yachts. you what, what you thought. Definitely. Would you go? I oh, if I would go. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think it would be okay. a fun time. Regardless, I think anybody would have a fun time on a yacht. I mean, come on. Well, yeah. no, well seen, to be honest, don't you worry if, about if, the, no, no, no. Hold up, the, hold up. If if Roger, haven't you seen I'm on a boat? That's if. But there, there are certain people if they invited me to hang on their yacht, I wouldn't go. Like if Jihan Wu was like, "You want to come hang on my yacht?" I don't think I'd go. I, I don't think that'd be a fun time. <laughs> I see. Um, you know. Uh, Wait, hold on, hold on. Sorry, you wouldn't go because you don't think it would be fun because he doesn't seem fun, or you wouldn't go because you don't like him. Oh well, I don't like. Like I mean, well, I mean, I shouldn't say this. I'm gonna get my orientation ruined in case he's listening. Yeah, it's true. Um, like I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Calvin Ira. I mean, I. Uh, he seems more personable than Jihan Wu, I'll say that. Um, mm, but Jihan mm, Wu just doesn't sound like a person who would be fun to party with on a yacht. Like, I don't I know, imagine, man. I think these like Chinese billionaires can be pretty fun. No, there would be money thrown around, but like, I think it'd be really awkward. I don't. Did you see Crazy Rich Asians? I did, but I don't think he really resembles anybody in that show. But it could be like that giant tanker scene, you know, with the. Um, see, nah, that I think that's more of a Calvin thing. Uh, maybe, maybe. But, but like, okay, but, but like. <laughs> well, you know what? There's only one way to settle this, gentlemen. <laughs> Both Calvin and Jihan need to invite all of us onto the yacht for a yacht off. And we will make the final <laughs> right. call we on know you're whose yacht is more fun. Yeah. Gentlemen, um, uh, we're waiting for our invites. Mailbag at unhashedpodcast.com. All right, well, we're, we're going to get focused on this goddamn podcast. Are we? Okay, okay let's enough. get back to it. All right, enough. okay. okay. <laughs> Part th- God damn it, Ruben. News, item number three, this is not a news item. This is this is really more of a topic, philosophy maybe. And Brian suggested we do this because the, the list is so short. So I'm going to let Brian take over here and, and, and introduce this, uh, this, this item. 
Yeah, so uh, I have a, a, a mess of kids, and my four-year-old was so so. He's wandering around, and we talk about Bitcoin way more than most other families, I would imagine. So it's just kind of always talking about Bill Foddles and Bitcoins, and and so Rowan is walking around my office, and he's saying, "Where is your Bitcoin, Dad? Where where is your Bitcoin?" And so then I was kind of like, "Well." Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to assign you some courses from Dr. Dan Bona to take online. Yeah. So that brings up the question that only a child could ask and no one can answer is where is Bitcoin? So I'd like to kind of go around the table and figure out, you know, get the answers on, on where we think Bitcoin is. And it can be, you know, a funny quip or something a little more scientific, but, uh, I'd curious what your answers would be for like, a Eli six. Five, twelve, four. Where is Bitcoin? How do I explain this to a six-year-old? Not, I don't know where it actually is. I remember talking about this with Brian, trying to answer this question when we were going through and trying to imagine how different countries were going to regulate this in terms of um, like rules about carrying certain amounts of money across the border. Um, or like on an airplane, you know how you can only take like so much cash with you. And the question is, if you're carrying your ledger with you, is is that carrying the Bitcoin with you? Because it's, you know, you can imagine how someone might say, oh, okay, well, you if you're carrying, you know, 100 Bitcoins on a ledger, then, uh, and you're getting on a plane, then you're, you're, you know, you're crossing borders with that money. But the truth is that the Bitcoins aren't really on the ledger. Um it would kind of be like it would kind of be like saying like taking a picture of the deed to your house and carrying it on a plane and be like, well, have you carried your house across the border? Like, no, not yes. really. Yes, you have. Maybe maybe the, the keys to your house would be an example, right? Yeah. I mean that that's that's probably that's a better analogy. But so you aren't like you're not really carrying the Bitcoin either, but as much as you can carry the Bitcoin with you, you are, but just because you're carrying the, the ledger doesn't mean that you could have a copy of the key back at home too. So, I mean, it's just not, it's, it's not, it seems like kind of a new category almost. And so to you can't really say it's anywhere specifically, right? Oh yeah. That's right. I I would say like, you're, you're not carrying it when you go on the plane, you're you're carrying access to it. Um, and there may be other, you know, points of access to it. If other, there are other copies of the key out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like the question, like, where is the internet? Um, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, just say it's, it's, it's actually a little easier on, though. I mean, where is you the can internet? Like, yeah. I mean, it's like, well, it's on, it's on a series of servers. Well, there you go. That's where your Bitcoin is. It's, it's recorded in a series of servers and, you know, countries all around the world. And, yeah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fine, I guess, I guess it's more or less true. Yeah. yeah, well, the difference, I guess, is there's kind of like a twofold system with the Bitcoin. I mean, yes, it's on what like fifteen thousand nodes at this point. Uh, I haven't gone on the node website in a while just to see them all, but I think it's about fifteen thousand. So fifteen thousand nodes, but like those are the people that just are saying like that your Bitcoin is yours, but 
only yeah. like copies of the keys are what can move it around. So is it the keys? Well, uh, well, you know, because the keys aren't the Bitcoin itself. And the, the Bitcoin is just, it's never in a database. The database has many, many um, copies of the record around the world. And, you know, your, your keys aren't Bitcoin. It's your access, I think. Ruben, what do you think? But it, hold on, hold on. If the if the Bitcoin is just the number in the database, then yeah, no, I, yeah. technically and literally speaking, each person running the node is the one that has your Bitcoin. Yes, correct. But that's not actually that's not really true. I yeah, mean, it is. It, yeah, if I'm, if it's I'm, not a full picture. Well, no, I mean you can't answer it in a sentence. But like if I'm running a node, yeah, on that node there are there's everyone's Bitcoin is there. So so yeah. if um then if if I get on a plane and I'm, you know, I somehow manage to like maintain connection throughout you're, the entire you're, flight. You're bringing your Raspberry Pi with you? Then, then yes. Then, then, then you need to declare that you have 18 million bitcoins with you that you were bringing with you. I think you should do that next time you take a flight. <laughs> no, I think uh, Mario's analogy is pretty good. Like, uh, it is definitely like the internet, or like you can you can think of it as a bank, right? I have money uh, on a bank, and I have maybe a a card or something that gives me access to that money. Uh, or maybe, you know, it's my credit card or something and my, my credit card, the numbers, I can give them to somebody else. And then they also have access to that money. I guess I have ultimate access to that money because I'm the one who can cancel the credit cards with uh, by like showing my ID. Uh, but the money is on the bank. And here the bank is something distributed, decentralized on the Internet. Uh, there are multiple copies out there and nobody individually has control. Um, so I guess you could say theoretically, if all the people that are running full nodes uh, and all the miners combined, like together, um, change something about it, then maybe maybe they could change how many bitcoins you have theoretically. But in practice, um, you know, it doesn't really work that way. So yeah, it is. It is. I, I think that's the newest thing about it, right? Like it it is really like a bank that is in multiple places. And that bank somehow is more immutable than um, uh, we would think about like a traditional bank that is maintaining some kind of ledger. I think just say what Ruben said to Rowan and he should have it. He's going to have it down. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but the bank analogy, do you think that works? Does a four-year-old know what a um, bank is? Uh, not, not, maybe not a four. My, my six-year-olds would know about kind oh, of. Oh, so six-year-olds is discussions plural. on yeah. kind of how banks work. So and, maybe a bank that lives on the internet, you know. And uh, and it's your your bank card gives you, you know, access to cool it. What's cool is these kids they're growing up with the internet like it's just kind of a given. So it's going to be you know I didn't grow up with the internet. I was uh, probably 14, 13, 14, somewhere in there when we first got it in my house. So um, you know it's definitely uh, it's going to change the way they think about the world and what's what's novel to them versus just kind of a given. The other thing you could do is you could explain like you could try and. Um uh, point out because I mean, kids kids aren't going to ask something like, "Where is this song?" You know, they understand that a song is like something that can be repeated. Is it's basically like information, and that's kind of like why I chose the internet because, like, sure, you can trace it back and talk about the servers, but like the internet really is like the the information that's out there. And if you try and frame it in like, you know, the reason that they think money is an object is because like, you know, that's your kind of first introduction to it. You see coins and bills and stuff. But I think that if we, you know, get to a point in the future where kids are being raised in a scenario where they just never see physical copies of money, I don't think that that question like might not come up as much if if you know people are raised already thinking of it as information, right? 
you know, like a kid's not going to ask like, you know, where, where is the word chair? You know, like, I, I mean, maybe that's a bad question and maybe they will ask, but, um, where are the like Netflix shows I'm streaming? Sure. Yeah. Like, um, I think you'll uh, soon have a four year old philosopher on your hands. Maybe maybe I'll uh, bring him on for a guest appearance or just and, uh, <laughs> what see if we can explain it to him. What is Bitcoin really? I keep I keep seeing um, Ben Stiller looking in the water in uh, <laughs> in Zoolander saying, "Who am I?" But it's really just him saying, "Where is Bitcoin?" Where is Bitcoin? Uh, number four, uh, Tron buys BitTorrent. And someone wrote here, ICOs are taking other people's money to buy real companies, which I thought was actually pretty clever and, and yeah, very true, that actually. That was kind of a collaboration. Uh, I added the uh, ICOs are taking other people's money to buy real companies. Um, I think that's just an interesting development. There was another ICO that that bought like a real company. Um and I, I'm not really sure what BitTorrent's uh, monetization model is, so I don't know like how great or or not so great of a company they are. So I can't really talk to that. But I mean, it's interesting that like these founders and and, and funds and stuff that don't owe anything back to their token holders that gave them all this money are buying, you know, real businesses <laughs> that are you know, going to be generating money going forward. Um, and I don't think the SEC is going to take too kindly to that and and just kind of... I mean, yeah, because it's basically like, yeah, hey, can I have some money to buy a company? And oh, oh and, and that just, was a gift. Can I just have the money? Uh, thank you. But I don't owe you anything. And by the way, Tron's <laughs> worthless now. So uh, see you later. And does anyone have any other thoughts on it besides that? You probably shouldn't have bought Tron. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just... Yeah, that's the way it is with these ICOs. It's all really, really weird, and there's too much money, it's, and it uh, goes in weird places, and this was a good example of it. I, I don't think the use case of cryptocurrency plus something like BitTorrent is uh, is bad, but it does require its own cryptocurrency. Any cryptocurrency could allow you to pay for uh, downloading data, basically. And probably the Lightning Network actually makes more sense for something like that than uh, isn't the whole, a, a blockchain. Isn't the whole point of Bitcoin <laughs> so I don't have to pay for things? <laughs> so you so you illegally <laughs> obtain things, but ostensibly Mario or ostensibly Ruben. The the point the point is not to avoid paying. The point is to do things illegally. So now you can pay. <laughs> Uh, the thieves. Of these. It's, it's actually, actually, it's actually the perfect the thing. It's just like so. paying, buying a coin so they can go buy something. BitTorrent allows the thief to monetize their thieving. That is absolutely true. Yeah, they, they are monetizing their thieving. So you're uh, you're paying for a black market, right? Like did that uh, that illegal information now has some some more value essentially. But uh, one of the uh, maybe uh, more uh, realistic use cases is that with BitTorrent, one of the problems is that usually it's only the popular files that um, are available. So if you have some kind of monetization aspects connected to it, you can also make the less popular files uh, more available anybody, uh, by incentivizing it with payments. You know, I gotta say, I, I, I never had an issue downloading music or movies or TVs, TV shows before. But now I'm like, in my mind, the idea of doing it and then Tron somehow profiting <laughs> because of it. That bothers me. That's like. Does anybody? <laughs> I would rather. I would rather pay the creator. Do y'all yeah. find it somewhat ironic that 
the cryptocurrency that ripped off the IP of <laughs> an old movie in the name of <laughs> Tron then got so much money given to it that. that it was able to buy the software that is now in charge or the chief culprit in ripping off other people's IP. It like, kind of makes you want to go. There's so much Tron. That. I got to say, uh, when we added this, I was like, this is kind of old news. Why are we going to it? But we found like, there's like eight layers of irony to this shit. This is like, it's, it, it's, yeah, it, the, it is, it is, it is meta levels of irony. It's sort of like how ironic. I just found out the other day that, that, um, the country with the lowest age of consent is actually the Vatican. Wow. Which is ironic on really, really multiple levels. I mean, like, they have a history of... I mean, it's basically... The Catholic Church is basically a cult of pedophilia. But then on, on top of that, I, I mean, mean, they're not even supposed to be having sex in the first place in the Vatican. So it's kind of funny to even have a... I mean, I guess you could, like... I don't know, what is it, for the Swiss guards? Yeah. Like, for mm. the non-clergy... Uh, wait, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm afraid to ask. I'm already regretting because I'm going to ask this. Uh, I, what, I don't remember, but it's it's very, about? very young. It's like 14 or 13 or something like that. Anyway. Uh, weird. Yeah, the layers of irony. Layers and layers and just gobs of irony. So, um, yeah, it's a, that's a really funny story. And uh, uh, we do have one story left, and this is a juicy one. This is a real juicy one. So, um, so malware got into the copay wallet. I'm going to read up a little summary here, and then we can use that as a jumping off point. So the malicious code was inserted in two stages into EventStream, which is a code library uh, with apparently 2 million downloads uh, used by Fortune 500 companies and small startups alike. Stage one, published on September 8th, included a benign module known as FlatMap Stream. Stage two was implemented on October 5th when FlatMap Stream was updated to include malicious code that attempted to steal Bitcoin wallets and transfer their balances to a server located in Kuala Lumpur. The backdoor came to light last Tuesday, but officials with NPM, which is Node Package Management, and they're just a basically a repository for uh, code bases and uh, like att- um, plugins and that kind of thing for uh, backend and frontend web development kind of stuff. Uh, they didn't issue an advisory until six days after they found out about this. So uh, the NPM officials said the malicious code was designed to target people using Bitcoin wallet developed by Copay, a company that incorporated EventStream into its app. Now, I looked into EventStream a little bit. Um, it's some sort of back-end, um, I don't know, I, I guess like a, a framework um, using streams, which is part of Node, I guess. Um I didn't really. I don't really know how important it is what EventStream does. It, it is some sort of node package that you can download and use, and apparently a lot of people use it. And I guess Copay uh, used this repository, and and I guess it infects. It this should infect everyone, but uh, I think Copay was the only one that was really being targeted here. So beyond that, I don't know much else about it. You guys probably know more. Yeah, it seems like it's just a library to make you know things a little bit easier for the programmer and and not something that's like super uh, important. But they were using it anyway. Yeah, it's just a dependency. Yep, yep. And uh, yeah, it's it's terrible, of course. Like this is uh, the kind of you know one of the problems with uh, wallets in general. Uh, but in this case, yeah, the co- copay BitPay wallet is actually kind of nice. Um, other than that, I don't really like BitPay itself, so I don't recommend the wallet to people. Uh, but the uh, the software itself is is pretty uh, user friendly and and nice looking. 
but yeah, they uh, they did, uh, I guess, take some shortcuts in terms of uh, security, and that is kind of one of the uh, the I think the general problems here, right? You got this desire to make your product as appealing as possible, and not really, and kind of security is secondary. And then you run into problems like this where there's a wallet that looks really good. And then from a user's perspective, you're going to trust it because it looks so slick and, and nice. And, and you just think like everything's fine. But then it turns out that, you know, they're not really paying close attention to security. They're not trying to get rid of dependencies. So dependency basically meaning, right, like somebody else has write it, wrote some code and you're using that code. And when they update the code, you just assume that what they updated is fine and you just use it in your software and you don't even think about it twice. And that's when problems like this uh, end up happening. So I'm guessing, uh, I'm guessing like someone wrote, like pushed, pushed some code to the repo and whoever was like maliciously pushed some code to the repo and whoever was in charge of the event stream repo just merged it and they didn't know what they were merging. So from what I read, the guy that was, uh, that actually had the, uh, created the event stream, uh, repo, he, uh, actually got contacted by somebody who said he would like to take over the project. And the guy said, sure. And without changing any actual ownership, he just gave him full access. So it didn't really look from the outside that somebody had taken over, but there was somebody else now maintaining the code. And that person went ahead and and, and in, introduced this uh, this uh, hack. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to a much lesser degree, I think any person who has done any sort of coding and then used um, like frameworks or libraries that other people have written will tell you that on a much on a much smaller de- level, it it one of the the, the big problems with. Uh, with this style of code. I mean, it's kind of necessary this day and age because you just can't, you can't have these like really robust apps without basically borrowing tons of code from other people and then just retrofitting it to fit whatever you're building. But the problem is, is when you have the more dependencies that you have, the more vulnerabilities uh, your, your code is going to have because it, you know, something just, you know, something updates and doesn't play nice with another dependency or you change something and it doesn't play nice with an old dependency. It can cause problems. And, and I guess in this case, it's a really big example of uh, the kind of problems you can see with this kind of system because someone can just, you don't know who is who is pushing and merging and, and is in charge of these repos and then you are depending on that code library and then all of a sudden your app or whatever is compromised. Um, so yeah. it's a huge issue. I, I think you're hitting the yeah. nail on the head. And you know what? One thing that's really important to note is that it is completely different here because we've got Bitcoin, uh, a cryptocurrency that can be physically like, you know, not, not physically, but it can be taken from you, right? Like normally if you have some kind of bug in some code, you know, your computer crashes, your, yeah. your uh, personal data gets leaked, but you're not losing millions of dollars and here for the first time thanks to cryptocurrency we have these other use cases so that the kind of thinking of how you build code uh the old mm. way is just not applicable right uh, security matters 10 times more here than uh, it did before in any other project and therefore we really need to choose the code that is uh really uh secure and we need to choose apps that focus on security first yeah that's so true it's so true and and yeah. i think like I would be surprised if a company like Chase Bank or JP Morgan was even using maybe they maybe they are, but I kind of doubt it that they would even be using 
external code libraries uh, for this very reason. And obviously that money is all recoverable, but in the case of Bitcoin, it's even more important and, and less recoverable than that is. So yeah, I mean, I think that, I think it's a really great point. I think the crazy part is that, you know, you can, there's like a social engineering aspect of like figuring out what dependencies these apps are using. And then you could go down like two or three layers deep. And yeah. in which case, like yeah. no one's going to be looking for that. And then it like, Oh, it updates and that updates and that updates, and they went down that many layers just just to target one app. You know, yeah, it's crazy. Now, Mario, you were saying that um, that Bitcoin.com wallet uses the copay or uses copay somehow. Is that is, am, I, am I mishearing that? Well, yeah, I, be, I believe it was. I believe it was yeah, a that's correct. Of yep. Yep. Uh, of the copay wallet, and like, and there's something. There's there's like a ridiculously high number of. Um, of user or of, of wallets or like software that's um, like I'm just bringing up the quote here. Like uh, uh, Maxwell described them as you know what happens when people find out that another one of the over 1,400 transitive dependencies of Copay are compromised. I guess that's um, wait. Oh, that's a, that's wait, a bit wait, of a separate. Wait, um, co- he said Copay has 1,400 dependencies. I don't I don't know if I'm uh, familiar transitive with dependency. transitive yeah. dependency and what does that mean. I would assume that means a dependency within a dependency. <laughs> oh, okay. Like it's an indirect. Of, okay, so like your dependency has a dependency on something. I, I would yeah, assume exactly. that means so like, a dependency. You know, I, th- I think the point he's making here is that like there's a pretty good chance that's not the only um <laughs> that's the only wow weakness here. yeah like um but yeah sorry that, I guess it's a bit separate to what I was saying before I believe that my understanding is that the Bitcoin dot com it was dot com wallet was uh, a fork of Copay. Um, and, uh, like, it's, is that right, Ruben? Do you remember? Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. Uh, that uh, I, I yeah. even checked the GitHub today. Yeah. And, uh, so I guess it's, uh, we don't know yet whether or not, um, do we know if it has the same, uh, vulnerability? I, I know they're currently looking into it. Uh, I don't think it's absolutely clear. So we yet. just don't even know. Okay. Well, well right. one of the things is that um, they might not have updated the, uh, you know, they might've taken, uh, the copay wallets be- from before, the uh, the problem got introduced and then never updated it. So if they if they are behind on their code, so to speak, <laughs> then uh, that might actually be an advantage. Yeah. Uh, so you point. know, it's it's not to say that they have the same problem, and also the problem is maybe very specific to the copay wallet. So maybe if you have you know a, a significant significant variation, uh, it, it cannot even touch you. I don't know. Uh, but um, yeah, so it's not certain uh, yet, or I, I don't know at least. I mean, and the. Like the the dirty secret here is that, I mean, if if these guys are as lazy as I was and as lazy as many of my coding friends are, like you don't you don't audit these node packages when you implement them and and make them dependencies into your project. Like you you just like need something. It depends on your project is. I mean, if it's if you're storing people's money, well, if you're trying to no, be your I know, bank, that's what I, that's do, what I'm saying. You, know? I, well, you probably, you yeah, probably yeah. should, but, but what I'm saying is, is that a lot of the time you just, you just go on to, you, you just go on to NPM and you just like, okay, I need some library that will do, you know, save me this trouble, and you do a search and then you just download it, and if it works, you're happy, and I guarantee you, like. I guarantee you, a lot of these, a lot of these guys that are building these wallets probably do that. 
Um, they shouldn't, but I, I bet you they wouldn't. I bet you this is going to be, this is only going to attract more people to try this kind of thing. And, and, and like fixing it is way harder than just avoiding this, avoiding using these dependencies in the first place. Like it's a, it's a pain in the ass to build these apps without these dependencies a lot of the time. But, and I can only imagine that with a wallet, it's even harder, but, but you, you, uh, getting it to like cut out, cut it out after you've used it and your app is working is like way more work. Yeah. And so I, I just, I think we're going to see more of these types of situations emerge and it's going to be really embarrassing. And there's uh, one more point that I would really like to make here, uh, which is that really all these wallets have some very serious issues when you think about it. I mean, you install, and uh, most people install a wallet from the Android App Store, Apple App Store, whatever, and it auto-updates. So what happens mm-hmm. is that if somebody has the auto-updates uh, ability, they can steal your coins. Like literally, they can just push an update. And the update uh, makes it so that your coins just, uh, your, your private key just gets sent to them. I didn't even right? think so about thinking, that, yeah. Yeah, so so that's that's the terrible thing, right? Like these apps are all not as secure as we think. And it really is, you know, a serious problem to just rely on an app like this and have it be auto-updatable. So, you know, what you should do ideally is A, this, uh, the software should be secure. B, you should disable auto-updates, uh, you know, and, and you should make sure that the software has been audited, etc. And and then maybe you can use it, but even then you're still on an Android platform or you're on, you know on an iPhone, an Apple iOS software. You know there could be bugs there. So there's so many problems, and that's why things like hardware wallets are useful, right? Yeah. Because you have this this kind of very simple uh, directed hardware that does one thing. You know, no auto updates, no touching the internet, nothing. Well, there's lots of and eyes on uh, that code too. Um, yeah, yeah. Lots lots of eyes on that code. So. Um, a little more audited i'm willing to bet anyway uh so yeah i mean that's disable your auto update that's 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 what i'm gonna say disable your auto updates and be careful when you update your your crypto apps yeah very good point i didn't even think about the auto update and that's uh pretty terrifying so uh cool yeah so uh, i think we can move on uh that does it for the weekly news wrap-up good work boys uh on to ico my god they're serious Uh, this week coming from ruben BBX. This sounds like some sort of big, BBX. beautiful women X-rated thing. But uh, it is, it is big and it's beautiful. Actually, I'm not sure what BBX stands for. That that, that should have been something I should have looked into. But uh, this uh, particular ICO is actually an ICO from 1993. So technically, not an ICO. They were ahead of the curve. They were ahead of the curve. And uh, the reason I wanted to point this one out is because I think it really shows that we're just reimagining scams that have been done before, that have existed before. We're just reliving them right now and going through the hoops again that, that have already been experienced. So I thought it would be fun to kind of take a look at this kind of scam that pretty much died out but still exists. And uh, I, I happened to run into it through one of the members of our uh, Bitcoin meetup who was very enthusiastic when he introduced this to me. Uh, so here we go. Um, so basically, this is a sort of barter coin is what they call it. It's it's barter in the sense that they're trying to make it a more direct uh, trading uh, thing where I provide a service, you provide a service, and we kind of exchange those services. No need for dirty fiat. <laughs> no need for that medium <laughs> of exchange. 
<laughs> yeah, terrible, terrible. Cut out the middleman, you know? And um, this apparently was very popular in the UK and in Australia, or at least there was a, a period, I, I'm guessing that was around 1996, seven or something, you know, like not, not now, uh, where this kind of took off. Uh, their website is bbxworld.com. If you want to take a look, uh, it used to be ebbx.com. I don't know why they changed it. And uh, I guess we'll be linking to a YouTube video that kind of introduces it to you. Um, so the pitch is uh, BBX creates a community. Uh, you trade goods and services more directly, you know, like a haircut for a dinner or something like that. Um, and the thinking is, well, you know, you, you're a restaurant owner and you have empty seats. There are no people sitting there. That is wasted money. If somebody could be sitting there, you would be making more money. So if you utilize the BBX platform, you get more customers that are going to go there and they're going to eat at your restaurant and you will have more profit right there and then. And sounds like uh, you can even I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Uh, and you can even get free BBX credits. So BBX, to be clear, it's actually a, uh, there is, even though they say it's like direct trading, there is uh, another currency that they're basically introducing, which is called the BBX trade dollar. And these BBX trade dollars are only tradable within the BBX economy. So you will get customers that pay you in BBX trade dollars, and then you can use those BBX trade dollars to buy services from them in return. And you can get interest-free loans in BBX credits. And obviously, they're only going to be spendable in the, those locations, so BBX locations. And one BBX trade dollar is supposed to be equal to one US dollar or, you know, depending on uh, the, the country you're in, they have different uh, credits for different countries. So it could be Australian or, or, or some other currency, but, you know, one dollar, let's say, for, for one BBX dollar. So the obvious pitfalls with this are, well... For one, they're they're taking a membership fee, so you have to pay a one-time membership fee to to even get in the door. Probably uh, they they I think it used to be monthly, but now they just take a one-time fee. You know, they're just trying to take all your money right away. Uh, there's a six percent service fee on every trade that you do, so you you lose six oh, percent. Wow. <laughs> wait, wait, they're yeah. they're about getting get away from fiat, and they're like, yeah, we also tax everything six percent. Six and and you know that's the funny thing, like six percent, it's it's insane, especially considering um, they're already like profiting in so many places uh, throughout this system. Uh, of course, BBX trade dollars are not convertible back to real dollars. It's only a one-way trade. So really, how do BBX dollars, uh, BBX trade dollars get into the system is you buy them from them. So you give them real dollars, they give you BBX trade dollars. <laughs> and you can never Wait. go back. I mean, it's basically, it sounds like so, a gift card, really. It, it is, it is a, it's a infinitely, like, it's a gift card that never gets out, that never gets out of circulation. When you pay with the gift card, the uh, receiver of the gift card now has to use the gift card at the other gift card shops. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's roughly the analogy here. Wow. So yeah, it is really quite terrible. So the question, um, I mean, it seems like yeah. the most obvious question here is, why not why, just why use dollars? Using BPX? <laughs> why not just use dollars? Right. So, so here's the funny thing, right? Be- because because of the empty seats. <laughs> yeah, the, oh. the, the empty seats. Well, you actually, get more customers. And let me tell you, this is actually the, the funny part. You get a lot of customers. Yeah, because they're all trying to offload uh, their BBX bags on you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so look what happens is you, you start with this this program and you're you're duped into thinking that one trade dollar 
dollars a dollar, right? So somebody goes to your restaurant and pays in these BBX dollars. You're like, great, I'm getting all this business. I'm getting all these BBX trade dollars. It's amazing. And then you actually try to spend the trade dollars, right? And what happens? So... uh, uh, like I said, a guy from uh, that came to our meetup, he kind of was very enthusiastic about it. And because of that, I kind of looked into it. And uh, the guy made the claim that he had stayed at a, a hotel using BBX trade dollars. And I asked him, like, did you pay Did you pay a premium or something? Like, he said, no, no, it's just the same price. So I, I sent an email to this hotel and I said like, hey, I want to stay at your hotel. It was somewhere in Australia. And uh, I, I want to pay in BBX trade dollars. Can you tell me how much it is? And they quoted me and it was like 250 bucks. And I was like, huh, how is that possible? Because it says it's 120 bucks uh, with uh, regular dollars. <laughs> right? And he was like, oh, yeah, no, we're not. Uh, like, I, I, like, because the rule is, right, like they, they're actually uh, by contract. They're not allowed to charge you more. So he said, like, no, no, we're not charging you more. It's just that you get a discount when you pay in fiat. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I, I'm fairly certain that this guy probably had a deal with the BBX guys where he probably could offload his BBX dollars into real dollars or something. But I, I mean, it's hard to verify. But, you know, it's a uh, needless to say, it is a complete sham. And I thought it was quite hilarious. And uh, yeah, even so there was one guy that that, it, that was operating in, in Korea and he was running the show basically for Korea or was trying to get things started in Korea at least. And he very proudly told me he had been given one million BBX trade dollars to use to uh, st- start the operations in in South Korea. <laughs> so basically, he he's here to convince companies to take these BBX trade dollars, of which he has one million, so he can go and spend them with them for 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 zero because he just got them for free. Right? So it's like, wow, what the hell is this scam? It is it well, is just insane. And then- Wait, so he's got one million of these things, but like no one in Korea accepts it, right? And uh, no, no, but he was he was trying to create a market for oh, it. Oh right? man, that's, so he was. This, uh, this yeah. really so is like the, the ICO before bucks, there were ICOs. Like, uh, hats off to these guys for for you know paving the way. Hey, they're st- they're still around, you know. Like, what the hell? Nineteen ninety three. Like they've they've been like. Well, I, don't I mean, know how they, he they're they, doing they, it. They, they can just print money. I mean, exactly. That's yeah. how they do it. I mean, and I'm kind of joking, but that's probably actually kind of how they do it. I mean, <laughs> no, no, yeah, you just absolutely. find some and, suckers and inter- to like buy these things, and and the interest-free loans are hilarious too, because like you're like, oh, geez, I just get free money, right? And then you spend it, and then you're stuck <laughs> because now you got to pay back the loan, but you got to get BBX trade dollars in order to pay back the loan. So now you got to take all these crappy customers. <laughs> And if you don't, if you don't pay back in BBX trade dollars, of course, you got to pay in real fiat, right? So it's like, it's not even interest-free loan in that sense. I'll tell you why I'm excited about this ICO. That's not an ICO. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just call it As ICO. I, I'm going to have yeah. so much fun creating the episode art for this episode because it's an ICO from the 90s. It's like my two favorite things, <laughs> ICOs oh, and Jesus. the 90s. So perfect. Yeah. So we're gonna have we're gonna have a lot of fun. I'm gonna have a lot of fun with this one. Well, well, check out the YouTube video. It's hilarious. It's like super old fashioned, and just like ah, it's, it's just hilarious. My favorite part was the making, uh, making excess inventory an asset, and I was like, well, <laughs> I mean, it kind of is an asset. It is an asset. But 
But how are you going to make it more of an asset? What else would you call it? And and so there's like a, a YouTube video about spare capacity, and they go through the restaurant analogy, but they don't ever like tell you how they're going to solve this problem. So I, I was I was glad to hear Ruben kind of lay it out that people are just going to come try to offload their bags onto me as an unsuspecting noob exactly. in the system. And then like then I get woke and try to go look for other noobs to like offload all my BBX on. Yep. And you're you're gonna give them a discount because you don't know that a BBX trade dollar is not worth a dollar, right? So you're just gonna charge them the regular price, but it's actually like you're you're severely undercharging. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like BBX, like on on the real market trades, like you know for half or a quarter of a dollar. <laughs> yep. Uh, there, these like there, there's similar stuff going on here in Vancouver Island. Like the the, the when I showed up uh, here in Victoria early this year, there were like kind of two Bitcoin meetups I I found, and they'd kind of forked basically. And I found out because one of them, like the original meetup, was started by this guy um, who then kind of turned it into his own little like you know scamming group. Like he was always talking about his own crypt, his own local cryptocurrency he was creating. And, uh, and there was also pushing these island dollars, which sound like the same kind of BBX thing. Right. right. But it was just like for the Gulf Islands here. And uh, I remember like I got into, like, I don't know why I thought this was going to be a meaningful conversation, but I kind of debated him for about like five or 10 minutes being like, I don't think these are actually like helpful for people. And they're like, yeah, of course it is. Cause then, then they got to spend locally and the money stays here. And I'm like, yeah, but you're kind of just, isn't this just, that's like, also a very dubious goal. Like, yeah, it's frankly, like, um, well, no, that's what I said. I was like, I, but I mean, generally places benefit from trading with other parts of the world. He's like, really? You're saying Walmart coming in and like taking jobs away from everyone is good? And I was like, I, you, you know, I'm I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it really so anyways, plays I, into I, that simplistic mindset. It, it really does, right? Like I, I, they are selling some nice dreams for, for, for the people that don't really understand all this. It was so sad. Well, I mean, that was also the meetup where I had some, um, some, uh, some person come up to me and talk about how um, how her astrologer um, knew what was going to happen to the price of Bitcoin that year. And I was like telling me about how it was like going to go up for the next couple months and then there'd be a bit of a dip in April, but things would be looking good for the summer. And I'm like, oh, your, your astrologist knows what the Bitcoin price is going to be. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking like, hmm, this is, this is different than the meetup in Korea. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'll come back here. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Just when you start talking to someone like that, there's like so many things wrong. You don't know where to begin. It's. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good example, right? Like the island dollars that you were talking about, or this BBX. It it just really clearly shows how stupid it is to close down a market, right? Like and say we are going to have our own unique coin and you're going to be able to use it inside of our ecosystem exclusively. And therefore there's going to be demand for the coin because people want to join our ecosystem because it's so amazing. It's like, no, you just want money. You just well, want well, money. It, you don't it, want some it is yeah, sort inferior of, coin. It is sort of like true in this self, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because like if you if you get sucked into it and now all of a sudden you're holding the bag of BBX coins, it's like, okay, well yeah, like I gotta get rid of these things so I can like get something <laughs> yeah. for them. It's like a it's it's like a race. And so yeah, like it does kind of create like this demand where there otherwise wouldn't be. But like 
it, it requires a little bit of duping from the get go and like convincing yep. people like buy these worthless coins. So, and then they're like kind of yeah. not worthless, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, they're still way more worthless than dollars. So obviously, cause you could just still go to that restaurant or whatever and just pay the dollars. That's what they want. So yeah. Interesting. I think that does it for the ICO. Oh my God, they're serious round. Now I think it's time that we go to, well, you know what time it is. It's that lightning round. Whoa. And this week it's Ruben because he also did yep. the ICO. So it's your turn. That's how we yeah. do it. Cool. All right. Well, well, let's uh, get right into it. I'll decide the order and we're going to go, I guess, let's take it Brian Mario Collin. Okay. I like going last. Cool. All right. So first question. One megabyte every one minute or 10 megabytes every 10 minutes? Ooh. 10 megabytes every 10 minutes. Are you talking about block times? Block times. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what else he possibly talked about. <laughs> well, I, I, it was just, I, I don't know. You could be talking uh, about like uh, your data cap. Yeah, or your, your data cap, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're talking about my data cap, I'd rather have a steady income of one megabyte a minute. Um, but if we're, if, we're doing, if we're doing block times, um, I'll go with 1010. Yeah. Yeah, I think because uh, because honestly, base layer speed not that important. I uh, can get all that shit done on the second layer, and uh, one minute blocks aren't ideal for uh, for uh, mining centralization. You want longer block times. Yeah, I think I'm going to go ten ten as well. Cool, you're all right. Uh, basically, the uh, trade off here is bandwidth versus latency, and latency is not really something that can improve very significantly. So. Uh, even though bandwidth will get better over time, uh, latency will probably always going to be a problem. You can't go faster than the speed of light. So there's, there's a clear limitation there. And that what is we why we have do, these 10-minute uh, limits. What we could do is we could drill straight lines through the earth. That is true. Um, and uh, deliver. You know, it's uh, it's not going to be faster than the speed of light, but it'll save some yeah. time. And, I think and that'd how, be... How are we going to go through the magma, a, though? Liquid hot magma. Well, listen, once you buy, once you buy my new... ICO coin. Well, we'll tell you about the research that's been done. <laughs> it's on a journey to I'm the center of to the it. Earth coin. There you go. Yeah, I like it. Earth coin. Earth coin. I'm gonna Google. Uh, it's definitely it's a gotta coin. be an Earth coin. It's gotta be an Earth coin. Uh, Ruben, would that also help out in uh, like where two miners on the opposite end of the world find the same block, like, like at the same time. So the chances of that happening is lower if yeah, you have 10 yeah. minute blocks as okay. opposed to one minute blocks. So yes. The chance of that happening like w- a certain number of times in a given day. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, okay. Let's go to the next one. Um, yeah. So would you, uh, if you were Satoshi, would you be an anonymous Satoshi or would you be a rock star Satoshi? <laughs> I don't know if I have the uh, the fortitude of real Satoshi, whoever, wherever you may be. So I think I would, I, I would, I would. <laughs> well, he might be dead, and then you're definitely I, probably capable. I of would, that, so. uh, I would, I think I would go to the dark side. I'd have to be a rock star Satoshi. Yeah, I, I'd also be a rock star. I, I, I'm not good at the whole. Um, I don't know. Yeah, the anonymity thing. And I like attention. So. I think um, I think Rockstar would be your path for me. 
I have to agree. I I mean, I think the better choice is anonymity. Better for the network and better for you probably long term, but I don't think it would have it in me. I would not have the character to not brag about it to everyone. So <laughs> I would choose Rockstar, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm also not, I would not be able to resist that temptation. Um, and I would like I to- that, uh, I think that we're all wrong. Yeah, there, yep. I mean, we're all on podcasts talking, so we're all, we're, we're all here but, showing But I mean, we're all wrong. I'm pretty sure he did the right <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, we can't even shut up now and we didn't even create Bitcoin. Exactly. <laughs> didn't exactly. create shit. <laughs> but we created a pretty uh, podcast. Respect for Satoshi for actually being able to pull this off that we all admittedly would have large problems Maybe, with. So. I, I think he's just saving it for a big reveal. January 3rd, 2016. Wouldn't it be funny if the way he revealed it was like to shill some new thing that was totally not related to Bitcoin, like, like his like his like burlesque <laughs> review show? Was like, by the way, like I am Satoshi, and like, no, you're not. It's like, no, no, no. And then he like proves it, you know. Like by the way, guys, come watch my improv. So like it's so like, club, yeah, so basically night. like I'm not doing Bitcoin anymore. I'm just like doing this burlesque show thing. It's he's like a dude, but he's like really into drag. And he's like, Yeah, I think really think you guys should come see this. Like I think you're gonna really like it's it. It's just a very specific <laughs> fantasy of yours you brought up, Colin. <laughs> I feel like this is basically Craig Wright, but if he was actually able to prove he was Satoshi. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, I right. could see Craig getting into drag. He did like make out with that dude. So, uh, is, is that yeah, actual real picture? That's just, real. Uh, <laughs> I, think I think it's real, right? Oh my god! I, I, I don't even want to know. Well, I don't want to know. Well, right into the mailbag. <laughs> Maybe and we'll let find us know out on the yacht, think guys. That, that photo was real or not? <laughs> and if you think Satoshi should start a burlesque <laughs> review? Oh, I know what my lightning round questions are next time. <laughs> All right. Oh boy, Number three. it's going to be something. All right. All right. Here's a light one. Salmon sushi or grilled salmon? Salmon sushi. Um, I, I just finished eating uh, salmon sushi about an hour or two ago. Actually, no, about like an hour before the podcast. But I'm going to go with grilled salmon. I like, uh, I like my food cooked, generally. <laughs> Except today when you eat it, not cooked. Well, well, I mean, I mean, we're in the office and people were like, we're getting sushi. And, and actually, I actually asked, I was like, is, is, can I get like cooked fish? And there was seared salmon, which meant that the edge was crispy and then it was raw on the mm. inside. And I still enjoy it, but uh, I, I do love me a, a nice grilled salmon steak. I'm going to say, I'm going to say grilled. I don't like fish, so I wouldn't eat either, but yeah, I'd prefer it be cooked just so I can get that fishy taste. Especially salmon. Like there's something like grosser about river fish to me than sea fish. So is is salmon a river fish? I believe it is. I yeah. mean, I guess it's, it's, it's more kind of a of hybrid, both, though, isn't it? Like it lives in the ocean and then it swims up the river to uh, like. Well, I hate it even more because right? it's non-committal. Yes, it's it's grilled salmon for me. So the winner is grilled salmon. Nice. All right. So next one. Uh, hopefully, I can explain this one succinctly. Um, so a Bitcoin that is traceable, or an anonymous Bitcoin, but it causes a 50% hard fork split. So half, so you, you basically end up with two coins and the user base splits in half, but you have anonymity versus traceable Bitcoin. Uh, on, on both of those split halves or 
like uh one of them would be uh, anonymous yeah oh okay oh this is a good question i i think i'd rather just keep the whole bitcoin with with no anonymity you you, you really chose this, this damn word. question because you knew I couldn't say that word, Ruben. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly what I was going for. And Thank you. It worked out perfectly. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, split. Easy. Yep. Yeah, split I because I, then I think I think the traceable amount will die off and uh, be a good opportunity to load wait, up. Wait, so some, Ruben, uh, with, with this with coin. this yeah. split, like, are you as, is is part of the assumption that it is a contentious hard fork and it's going to split the community in half. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I I'm, I'm making some assumptions to make it simpler. So yes, the community is splitting exactly in half. Uh, and yes, the, the pre split Bitcoin is completely traceable. Like completely traceable isn't like how it operates today. You mean, right? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, there are already some anonymity things you can do today. So, you know, for simplicity, we're just, you know, taking it, okay, taking it gotcha. out of the equation. I think if we're taking that stuff out of the equation, I will take the hard fork. All right. Yep. Um, that is also what I would say, considering the uh, the constraints of this question. Um, I, you know, I think in reality we have the option to soft fork, and because of that, we you know hopefully we won't have to <laughs> face this uh, this grim uh, situation. Um, and there are obviously also some things that we can already do today, like kind of like, you know, some second layer type of uh, uh, anonymity by using uh, lightning, for example, maybe that will give us some anonymity. Uh, so, there, you know, there are, there are some, some other things you can take into account. So I'm really hoping we'll never have to find out the answer to this question, but, it, you know, maybe someday we'll, we'll end up in this kind of situation. Yeah, so I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I, I guess I'd kind of like to push the privacy stuff to the second layer. And I used to be, you know, full bore, let's get privacy on the main chain. But I've started having some reservations, particularly after the, uh, I guess, bug, um, that maybe it would be better to keep the main layer simpler and have it so that we can be certain that there's no inflation. Right. Yeah, I think it depends a lot on the uh, implementation, right? If the implementation is not fully secure and it, if it adds additional risks, that makes the equation a lot harder. Um, so here in this question, I'm just kind of assuming the anonymity is just going to come without any cost other than the hard fork itself. But yeah, if there are like kind of um, additional risks like that, uh, that yeah has to be taken into account, and that will definitely factor into the decision. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what I would pick. Uh, I think you're you're raising a good point, and I, I do think that above all, the base layer should be um, very secure. But I do think anonymity adds a lot to that because really one of the uh, the big uh, threats would be. Uh, miners starting to censor transactions and without anonymity that's a lot easier to do if all the transactions are anonymous then miners have to either censor everything or or nothing uh, as opposed to you know let's say uh, you you go on the second layer and you try to be anonymous there well then maybe your transaction just gets uh, censored off of the main network just because you're trying to be anonymous right and if they can censor you on, on the base layer then Whatever that second layer anonymity is, it's going to be useless. Yeah, I can see that. Um, uh, what do you guys think about um, 
if we get our dream of hyper bitcoinization and then there is this um anonymous chain then if governments are using that then we won't be able to know what the governments are doing with the money not that we know today but i do feel like there'd be maybe some more transparency would be good there i don't know um uh, well i don't think that um i don't think that having like traceable Bitcoin like we have now is going to help us knowing what governments are doing with the money because governments could just, you know, make their payments based on their own centralized, you know, banks that they're using that operate on top of Bitcoin, for example. And if a government, you know, is being forced to by its people to, um, you know, open its books and show them where they're spending money, that's very easily provable even on an anonymous chain. Like remember, like an anonymous chain that, is fungible. If you're using something like confidential transactions, the sender and the receiver can, of course, reveal that to anyone they want to. Um, so I'm not. I, I don't think that's necessarily a concern. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with Mario. Uh, they can always be public if they want to be public, and if we can't force them to be public as a as a society, then they're not going to. Right? Like we have to have some kind of leverage over over uh, governments in order to achieve that in the first place. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I'm for anything that makes it harder for the government to know how much money I have. I think one one very important uh, distinction there that you remind me of is that it needs to be accessible for just every, an everyday person that's just making simple payments. And they need to be anonymous because the way it works right now, let's say with like something like tax evasion, right? Um, really what happens is that if you are just having a regular job, then trying to not pay your taxes is just a daunting task that costs you more money than you're making. But if you're a multi-million dollar company, then it starts making sense for you to, uh, to pay that extra money in order to, to uh, not have to pay as many taxes. So you end up with this kind of indirect system where the the rich have these uh, extra benefits that you can't really get. Uh, So really we need it at the base layer and we need it for everybody. Yes. Next. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, all right. So oh, this, oh, this is one I'm very curious. Well, yeah. Anyway, it's a fun one. Um, so let's say you die and your crypto inheritance can either go to the government or it can just be destroyed and not be with anyone. So you don't have the option to give it to your friends, family, whatever. The options are destroyed or government. Destroyed. Uh, well, which, which government? Your government, the, where, my where government, the Canadian government. Let's say where where you're, yeah, where uh, wherever you feel more. I'd like, uh, to, I'd like to give it to the Dutch government. Uh, no, um, <laughs> that would be interesting. I, yeah. I, I um, this might, um, I'm gonna earn the the wrath of of the Aldses here, but yeah, I'd be happy to send mine to the Canadian government. Yeah. I think Brian. Uh, yeah. Oh, I already Brian said already destroyed. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely burn my Bitcoin. Um, the government's going to get part of that anyway, just in the form of deflation. So that's my gift to them. And uh, I want to bequeath as much as I can to the rest of the hodlers out there. So yes, destroy my Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I agree that destroying your Bitcoin means everybody everybody else who's holding Bitcoin gets a little bit more uh, and I think that is a, a better idea than uh, giving it to the government who can then uh, uh, spend it on your behalf, basically. Well, uh, if they need more money, uh, they can tax people more. I think that's yeah, a better, also, better way of doing it. Keep in mind, though, you're giving more to the richest people already, right? 
the people who are going to benefit most from deflation are the people who already have a lot of money. Uh, just percentage-wise, uh, everybody's going to get what they have plus a percentage, yeah. Yeah, where, whereas the reason I would choose to give it to um, uh, the Canadian government is because I'm actually – Kind of overall pretty pleased because, because they're the poorest spent here. they're the poorest entity and in Canada. No, 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 but I think no, but I think that I think that um, that the people who benefit from uh, government services in Canada are people um uh yeah, who like um you know, I think that a lot of the spending in Canada is actually spent on pretty good and useful things. I think right. so you you're, you're pretty well the, and uh, I'd be Canadian okay with yeah. I'm I'm Sorry. sure some of it I'm sure sure some of it would be wasted. Um but I'm sure a lot of it would be wasted across the general population as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next one. Uh, another food question. I must have been hungry when I was writing these. Korean barbecue or steak dinner? Korean barbecue being uh, usually kind of like fatty pork uh, with uh, kind of like bacon meat. Uh, uh, no, no. You can't, you can't describe Korean barbecue. Korean barbecue is an experience, though. That it's is true. Like but, you have yeah. a grill at the table and, and you know, it's a social thing. You get a fight over who gets to grill it or who has to grill it. And then it's, I'm saying this, I don't know, Brian, have you had? Korean I've barbecue? never had the full Korean barbecue experience. Ugh, it's criminal. Okay. I'm just saying, just saying fatty pork doesn't quite, doesn't quite do it. I think that uh, slabs of bacon is pretty, like, pretty descriptive of what it is, though. Sure, sure. But I mean, the thing is, if someone, like, brings me a plate of you know, samgyeopsal that was cooked in a kitchen somewhere. In my mind, that's not going to be true. That's fair enough. Korean barbecue. That's that's someone and, served and, me some. Fatty and bacon, I am comparing know? it to steak dinner, so not just a steak, but you know, like a, you go to a restaurant, you get a steak, you get you get little little bit of you know some sides, kind of like that. I'm gonna have to go steak dinner, uh, and I'm intrigued. And you know, no no offense to the Korean barbecue aficionados among us, but. uh Steak dinner at Papa's Steakhouse here in Houston. Offense taken. Uh, Offense taken. Bro. Pretty hard to beat. So I'm going to go steak dinner. A little foie gras on the side. Did you say foie yeah. gras? Yeah, he says it like foie gras for some reason. <laughs> I believe it, I believe it's foie gras. Foie gras. Foie gras. Foie gras. All that, all that good <laughs> stuff. Like that. He, I'll tell you exactly uh, where he gets that. It's from the like 1997... It's, it's uh, episode, uh, Japanese episode of um, the Kitchen Stadium, uh, Iron Chef, in which they had foie gras, and oh, the announcer called it foie gras. Great show. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I saw a couple of Oh, it's a great that. show. That's when they, were, they would show like slow motion replays of them putting pans into the oven. Yeah, like it's, that, it's right? an amazing show. Uh, Mario, which nice. would you pick? Well, Oh, Korean barbecue, in case that wasn't obvious from my um, um, aficionado-like behavior earlier. Yeah, I mean, I kind of miss it as well. I, I've had a few steaks here in Victoria. I, I um, It's been coming up on a year since I've had Korean barbecue. Man, got to get back to Seoul. Dude, man, Canada yeah. sucks, dude. You, you got to get out of there, dude. You, you got to. You got to. You got to come down here where I live, and there's tons of Korean barbecue. That's uh, I did go down there. I know, and um, I mean, you saw. You didn't take so me. You should. Well, I mean, we had we had Mexican food. Oh, I mean, it probably wasn't real Mexican food. It was probably like no, that American was not Mexican real Mexican food. But it was good. It was delicious. Anyway, I would choose, and I'm gonna be betraying my roots here. Um, this is this is gonna you know make my forefathers like turn in their grave. But I'm 
I'm choosing Korean barbecue. It's wow. just something there's some there's something I, magical about a Korean barbecue. It's the it's like the 30 tiny dishes you get on the side and then to top it all off, they just I mean, bacon is already amazing. And then you have bacon that's like 2 inches thick and you grill it right at the table and you just get it fresh off the grill. You put it in the little lettuce, you add the 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 samtang, I think it's called. Is that what it's called? The the sauce? Samjang. Yeah. Sam- Wait, I'm yeah. talking about like the 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 sauce, right? The yeah, it's like uh, kind of the uh, red chunky sauce that's like uh, made yeah, out of it like it looks like it's really one. spicy, but it's fermented not. garlic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Some grilled kimchi. Come on, like it's just it doesn't get better than that, really. It it is quite amazing. So yeah, yeah uh, yes that. that that is my choice as well. Uh, I, I definitely well, think there's a time and place for the steak dinner, and, and it's definitely tasty. And I eat it less, so it is like more of a special occasion for me. But the uh, yeah, the Korean barbecue is just is just amazing. I think we can just forgive Brian because he just he well, just he, doesn't yeah, know. he doesn't know. He's never yeah. I'm gonna remedy this someday. We're gonna come visit Poor you Brian. in Seoul. Poor Brian. Excellent. And uh, and we're gonna go. I'm looking forward to the day that the four of us are all in Seoul having Korean barbecue. That would be epic. Yeah, I guess for for our listeners, I guess Colin's the only one who's met all of us. Um, Ruben and I have yet to meet Brian. That's true. Yeah. In uh, in, in real that's life. crazy. Yeah, but I I'm actually had not thought sure of that. He exists though. Yeah, that's that's yeah. very interesting. Well, I mean, Colin and I, we only spent like two days together, and two two and, uh, glorious, magnificent days. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, I mean, in the spring me, of twenty eighteen. <laughs> I feel like I was not at my best for that for those two days as well because, like, I, I had gone to like a bachelor party in Vegas for like three or four days, and this is my first time in the states. And then I was like, oh, I'll just go down to Vegas for a few days and see Colin. And um, and I don't smoke weed much, but um, but I was offered some frequently while I was there and you know combination of just being like at the end of a four day kind of hangover or like a hangover from 40s party in Vegas and being a lightweight and having like really strong California weed I I was pretty out of it for the two days I don't know well, how, and then there was like all the heroin yeah. and coke we did which is just like on it's, top of that it's just <laughs> sure yeah. yeah yeah I mean yeah all right, moving, yeah, moving on. on. Next, <laughs> what? You next lining question, number seven. Um, it's going to be Satoshi either dumping all his airdrops, uh, like all the hard forks, uh, BCH, uh, Bitcoin Gold, <laughs> and whatever, whatever shitcoin every Bitcoiner has received, or Satoshi never moving his coins at all. Oh man. To be clear, would wait, hold on. I need to ask a clarifying question that may be relevant to the other people yeah. uh answering. Would would Satoshi because I'm a little unclear about how some of this stuff works. So would he I know that the wallet that all of those coins are in right now is a very, very old wallet. Well, most of them um, have never moved like from the Coinbase. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. So he would not need to move those coins to get the forked coins. He, he would need, he would need to move them on the forked chain, but nothing would happen on the Bitcoin. Okay. So then, 
it seems like the reason I ask is because you said never move the coins, but it seems like he wouldn't have to move the coins. Well, no, I think the assumption is never move them on the airdrops or fortune. Oh. Never move any coins, or he moves the airdrop coins. I, I guess I don't see the downside to him. Well, the, moving the airdrop coins. The downside is Fair that yeah. we would know Everyone. that those coins are still movable. And that's so exactly that's yeah. that would introduce point. a lot of uncertainty. That supply yeah. is thought to be uh destroyed. And so it would kind of or at least speculated to be destroyed. And are, so but, but it would prove like, that have, it is not. Is it really assumed? Like I think maybe it's priced in somewhat since it's never moved, but is it really widely assumed that they're destroyed? I mean, or that they're not well, moving, no and, they're yeah. gone. and no I mean, one knows no, which no ones one knows. are him like, versus in, you know somebody else. Like, there's no. It's, so, like, it just adds the uncertainty. Yeah. I'll say this: What if Satoshi changes his mind and decides our Bitcoin is the airdrop? Oh, decides decides what? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, like he thinks BCH is the real Bitcoin, and he dumps BTC, something like well, that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, did you wait? Did you say your answer yet, Brian? Uh, I'm ready. Oh, to go. I I think. That yeah, I, I would like I would like for him to dump the coins on the airdrops, but um, all right, fuck it. I'm gonna go with the the extra option. I would like him to dump his BTC and just buy a bunch of shit coins. I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, and I'm not even joking because first of all, all that uncertainty is then gone from Bitcoin. Yeah, it would tank the market. It would. Um, I mean, it might pop up these other random coins, you know, Satoshi will own like 90% of Bitcoin private and Bitcoin uranium and where the fuck else. Um, but then after that tanking is done, that's a huge area of uncertainty that's no longer a concern. Um, so I, I kind of hope that happens. I think it'd be great if Satoshi just moved a bunch of his coins and like, yeah, did some weird shit and then we just knew, you know, now we don't have to worry about this anymore. This is, this is very interesting. Yeah. Like, so, okay, having thought about this a little more now and listening to Mario, I think better now than later that those coins get moved because yeah, it, exactly. it could totally yep. destroy the market completely. But if it didn't and it I get to choose, then I'm going to short Bitcoin like crazy right now and then wait for that market to well, take oh, oh so we get to choose the timing well now. yeah we're no 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 wait. no no you don't get to choose when this happens i'm saying this is like one of the two events kind of like occurring just at some point well yeah. i chose a, i chose an option that wasn't given and i'm sticking with it but yeah oh okay i thought this was a third option that was given now well it is no, i gave it to myself he's cheating he's cheating but it's a good answer i'm winning okay well we kind of have to know when because that's relevant right because like I don't want this to happen 10 years from now, but I'm kind of okay with it happening right now. Okay, you, you get to choose when it happens, but then you forget about it, so you're not able to show Wait, Mario, is that right? Yes. Um, Ruben, is that right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, point is, the point is not that you're going to profit This is from, my question. You know, knowing where the market is going to <laughs> okay. move. I just I mean, know. You know. Otherwise, the question would be, Satoshi giving you a bunch of money or Satoshi not giving you a bunch of money? That's not the question. Okay. I think I'm gonna. I, I think I will. I will take the money. Thank you. <laughs> I think. I, I think I'm gonna still choose Satoshi to dump the coins on the BTC chain, and then after the market tanks, I'm just gonna have a bunch of dry powder ready to buy up these coins at like yep. a low, low price. Yep. And then 
it's good because then there's like there's more coins out there for the the uh, noobs to buy hopefully and uh yeah get a little less like inequal a little less inequality out there in terms of ownership and and if the price tanks it's less pollution <laughs> beautiful i know Everybody i know you're wins. very concerned about that <laughs> yeah one yeah well i'm i am yeah all right. Well, uh, two people gave uh, non-valid <laughs> answers, but I did like the answer a lot. I mean, it's it's a good point that uh, Satoshi actually dumping his coins really yeah, kind of clears out the market, awesome. and and that and it is in line with kind of the uh, the thinking of the question here, which is that you know Satoshi dumping all of his shit coins kind of exposes the fact that he might do it to Bitcoin and that uncertainty will really come into play then. So I, I will accept that as the uh, the correct answer. However, he would, mm. I think, I think that um, he would only dump them just to like shit on the BTC chain. He wouldn't sell them to gain money because I think he wouldn't actually get that much money out of it. Once he moved them, like the market would tank before he could even get them on the yeah, exchange. Yeah, he, he couldn't yeah. sell everything into the market efficiently. That is absolutely true. But he could like uh, over a 10 year period just consistently buy, uh, sell, you know, and, and just like depress the market. But, yeah. but you, but you, years. I mean, I guess if you, you could do that, that would be better, but like it would still tank the market. Like as soon as coins move, it's well, no, but tank no the price, one knows. Right? Like, let's say that he was mining for two years, three years. No one knows which ones of those blocks are his. So he could just start working from like the 2011, 2012 blocks and just go well, back. Well, for, all, for all we know, he, he's been doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Time, you know, that's exactly right. Like, uh, I, I think and it'd be great if just like block number one, just move the Coinbase transaction once and then stopped. Block number two. Great. <laughs> yeah, people would go nuts and just like, yeah. Yeah, black number two. Yeah, that'd be uh that'd be definitely uh, insane. Everybody would be screaming. Yeah, that would be isn't, funny. Isn't right. I'm sorry, one last question though about that. Isn't sure. it also believed he does have like a million coins in an actual wallet, like an old OP uh like what is it, Lamfort? Lamport wallet or something like that? Mm-mm, no, it has nothing to do with Lamport, but um no there there are um it, it, they have old style. Some uh, the old transactions have old style um, public keys on them, so they're not hashed, so they're less secure. And that's actually uh, the opposite of Lamport. Uh, Lamport would imply there is some. Oh kind of no, hash. no, that's right, that's um, right. So when I was reading about this, they were saying to like convert all these old addresses to Lamport because they. I think it was um, oh, who was talking about this. I think it was Nick Zabo saying like. We need to destroy those coins. That's why I bring it up. This is what I was referring to the wallet. Like, yeah. to destroy they're, they're not them. quantum secure. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, so the worst case scenario would be somebody steals them because there's quantum computing, right? And then all the non-hashed pub keys are insecure, so all that money will be taken. So maybe preemptively, we need to destroy those coins. That's um, that's a big bounty yeah. on quantum computing right now. Yeah. Yep. I would say that's not, like not the lowest bounty on quantum computing though. Um because um, of well it depends how things go, man. Because one, the Another economics, f- like, like you can only sell so many because you're right back to the problem we were talking about with Satoshi selling his coins. But m- even worse, uh, because you know, people are gonna be, you know, watch oh, watching those particular ones get sold and no others. Uh but then the other problem like on the other side of it, 
like, wouldn't you rather just like hack, I don't know, like Chase Bank or something and give yourself, uh, that's just a lot easier target. Like the, the hashes or, or the passwords no, are much lower. I don't lower. think it is. I don't, th- well, yeah, but the thing is like hacking Chase Bank, like that stuff's reversible, right? Uh, yeah. Where, well, yes, I mean, it's actually be able be able to anonymously just move coins on the Bitcoin network, assuming it's large at that time. That's like, I mean, I'd say that's pretty easy. Once you can, if you could just like uh, have a program that will get you the uh, the uh, you know a signature for public key and an output, run a node, broadcast a transaction, boom, <laughs> you've got the money. I that. That but sounds like, like far easier than attacking like large centralized service. But if you wire if you wire money to some guy in the Philippines, like your bank's not going to be able to get that back to you. So no, but but you're leaving yourself. There's a trail there, though, right? And then what are you going to do? Exile yourself to the Philippines? I mean, I don't I, like why do people I mean, it would be not scam people? I, mean, I, I, I guess if I guess if you're the first person to run a quantum computer, people are probably going to know who you are, anyways. Uh, but yeah. I mean, uh, just wanted to correct myself here. It was not Zabo; it was Thamos who was talking about this. Yeah, I was going to say that didn't sound like a Zabo thing to say, but yeah, um, it was Thamos uh, saying either we need to destroy the coins or update the uh, the address type, I guess, to be quantum resistant. So, do we hear much from Thamos these days? Well, I mean, he, he is a lot more quiet. Yeah. Hmm. maybe he's Satoshi right, final question <laughs> I don't think he is but <laughs> it could be yeah. um, final question very short one BBX or BitConnect oh, this is kind of easy right I mean <laughs> I don't know I say BitConnect because it died already I say BitConnect because they throw good parties. Yeah. And they make sweet memes. Uh, well, I yeah, say the meme, the meme value alone. I say yeah. big, beautiful web money because <laughs> because at least you can still buy something with it, kind of. <laughs> yeah, that is that is true. But uh, yeah, the, the right answer is going to be BitConnect because even though it's down in the dumps, it still has some kind of value, and you can convert it into Bitcoin. Whereas wait, with BBX, wait, does this still have a value? <laughs> really? <laughs> I believe it's still out there. Are still yeah. trading <laughs> I believe so, but maybe they're just IOUs on the exchange at this point. I'm not sure. Well, it's all these really are, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> all right. I mean, maybe if you own some some BitConnect, you still have the right to like their unused trading algorithm that yeah. they had. Yeah. So, like, you know, does it does it find arbitrage? <laughs> all that intellectual property that they it sure yeah, does I find feel arbitrage. Like there's something like. If they just guys, all they gotta do is turn that thing back on and we're back <laughs> in business. Lights are back on, baby. Uh, I'd say the memes alone make Bitcoin uh BitConnect a better a better choice than BBX. It was a great like <laughs> meme true. uh factory. So yeah. that's a that's a very good point. And like you can't put a price on memes. No. No. The the ends justify the memes, as Chris DeRose would say. Next? Is that it? Is that the end of the lightning round? Uh, No, that's it. That was the final question. That was was a good one. one. Yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Yep. Um, It's shout out time. I have two shout outs this week. 
Uh, one is Fork Monitor, which is just a new little web app uh, created by BitMEX, so you can monitor the ongoing drama of the fork uh, with some uh, nice uh, analytics there uh, that you can monitor. So that's kind of cool. They just came out with that this week, I think. And then my other one that I'm recommending here is privacy.com. And this is a pretty cool little website. So what you can do with privacy.com is you can sort of create like virtual credit cards. So you just go to privacy.com and then you can like link up your bank account and then what they will do is like give you a credit card with like a false name, I guess. And uh, you can buy things online using these fake credit cards and you can burn them whenever you want and uh, create new ones at will. And so what I really like to do is I take Pseudo, which is another little app where you can create little fake identities. And I'm not sure like how legal this is because I imagine there's some sort of like <laughs> it sounds it sounds legit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I okay, I know privacy.com is legal. It's like a legit a legit operation. And pseudo is legal. And I imagine using them together is not illegal, but it probably like helps you get around some like KYC stuff. And so if enough merchants got wise to it, they might they might like I don't know, try and find a workaround. But with pseudo, you can create these little fake identities. And like, so you can just give a name and then it'll provide you a telephone number and like uh, you can give it in a location and then you can like, that way if you don't want to give out your real phone number, you can like give this name and this phone number out and um, and you will get the texts or the calls through the app. And basically you pay pseudo for like the minutes that you use or for like the text messages that get sent or received. That's how they make money. And um, you can get like a phone number from like, I think Canada, the United States or uh, the UK. And so you can link this up and create these privacy.com credit cards of these names and just like buy things with these fake identities completely. Uh, the only, the only, um, like really linked to you obviously is your bank account. So as long as privacy.com doesn't leak your bank account, then, I mean, it is like a risk vector for sure, but it's more privacy than you would get otherwise. So that's kind of a cool little thing I've learned this week. I guess that's my turn now. My is. recommendation is, uh, you know, much less, uh, less practical, but more fun. I have a I have a movie recommendation. If you're a Jason Bateman fan, and and this movie did not get much press, so that's why I feel like it's my duty as a Jason Bateman, uh, a Batemanite, if you will, to recommend Game Night. You need to go watch Game Night and uh, have a good laugh. So and and the people the the rest of the podcast members are going to be uh, are, are glad that I'm finally recommending this so that I'll stop talking to what them you about finally? it. Finally, you've done it like the past two <laughs> weeks. You've recommended this every time. I'm pretty sure this was your recommendation last week. No, it was not. Frying Turkey was my recommendation last week. Yeah, but you, you also like mentioned this. And I then the week it. before you mentioned no, it. No, I did not mention it. Uh, no, no, I think Brian recommended it to me after we were done the podcast. I'm not sure. It was off I think air? what the people call you fans of Jason Bateman, they call you a master Batemans. <laughs> I knew that's what you that's were going to really do. clever. <laughs> uh, Mario. Mario. Uh, yeah, back to Bitcoin stuff. I uh, recommend uh, Eric Voskill's uh, 
Voskel? What is it, Ruben? How do I say it? Voskel. Voskel. He, he can't uh, even pronounce it himself because he's not <laughs> Dutch, but yeah. Well, let, <laughs> anyway. if, I, if I ever meet him, I'll teach him how to pronounce his name. Um, uh, Eric Voskel's um, Understanding Bitcoin. It's on the Lib Bitcoin, Lib Bitcoin uh, GitHub. And it's cool. It's a series of articles about uh, different... Uh, uh, you know, chunks of information and fallacies and concepts uh, about Bitcoin, mainly about the economics of it. And uh, I don't agree with everything in there, but uh, I agree with most of it. And it's uh, it's cool. It's a really good resource. So go check that out. Um, yeah. Ruben. All right. And I'm going to recommend people check out my uh, presentation that I gave last week at the conference here in Seoul uh, called Blockchains Don't Scale. So I'll, I'll put a link uh, to the slides in the show notes. And on top of that, I also want to recommend you check out youtube.soulbitcoin.kr, which is our basically all our presentations of the Soul Bitcoin Meetup, uh, at least the ones we've recorded. And there are more coming up. So check that out as well. All right. I like it. Well, guys, you know what to do. You can go to unhashpodcast.com and you can watch this episode as well as all the others. And we're going to have our links up there for this stuff. We're going to have our links up there for this stuff. I don't know what else to say. I mean, that's all we got on the show notes. That's what show notes are. And uh, on top of that, though, you can find links to Bill Fottle or the Soul Bitcoin meetup or the subreddit that uh, Ruben and Mario and I, uh, not so much I lately, uh, moderate, which is uh, our Bitcoin discussion. So you can check that out. It's definitely a better alternative to uh, RBTC and our Bitcoin, I think. Uh, and we can always use new members there, some fresh blood on the on the threads so that would be good and uh you know thanks for thanks for listening and thanks for being here uh again apologize for the audio and i think with that that'll do it um follow us uh, at unhashed podcast on twitter and then i think i'm not gonna bore you with the rest of our twitter handles i'll just throw them in the show notes from now on so you can follow us individually if you want this has been the unhashed podcast a show where we bring crypto down to earth and cut through all the blockchain bullshit playing us out today is what is playing us out today? I gotta look in the notes. Ah, Olaf the Crypto Coin Magician by Brian Hoffman. Little tidbit Brian Hoffman has a YouTube channel. He's also the guy that started uh, the what is it, Bazaar? What's it called? Online Bazaar? What's that thing called? Do you guys know what I'm talking Open about? Open Bazaar? Open Bazaar. That's it. That's it. Yeah, he started Open Bazaar. He has a very funny YouTube channel, I found. And he makes fun of everyone. Uh, including Bitcoiners, and and some of his videos are quite funny, so I'm going to play out some audio from one of the ones that I thought was pretty funny. So uh, that'll do it for us, guys. Thanks for listening. We love you, and we will see you on the next episode of the Unhashed Podcast. Goodbye. I think my parents, frankly, still struggle to understand what I do. I mean, when I started, I told my parents, like, hey, I got this job, and they said, well, what are your coworkers like? And I was like, well, there's only two of them, but they're great guys. But I mean, what's the office like? And I was like, well, it's in a forest. And they were like, well, at least you're getting paid, right? And I was like, well, I used to get paid in this cryptocurrency <laughs> called Bitcoin. But they were like, whoa, you're going to get legitimate money? Bitcoin. It's an unspendable digital currency currently created by evil Asian men. It's being sold through sketchy vending machines. It's also been known as digital gold. But now it's being forked into many different shit coins all across the globe. And it's being traded by the billions every day. Olaf Carlson Wee, who was recently named by Forbes as the crypto coin magician, has been working hard to track down Bitcoin users and encourage them to stop using the digital currency. 
So my first technique that I use to get people off Bitcoin is like by having them buy a pizza and then they realize that they can't <laughs> use Bitcoin for anything useful. And then that pretty much allows them to realize that they are making a big mistake. What's it like to work for Olaf? Well, um, he spends most of his nights working really late, trying to find clever ways to screw with people. And then he drives hours just to make them pay for coffee with uh, their dollars. And, uh, and then you just find him eating pizza by himself. Getting people off of Bitcoin is, is not as easy as it seems. It takes a lot of planning and a lot of preparation to get them to realize how dumb they are. I mean, I used to have a lot of friends, but now their wealth is all tied up in Bitcoin that they can't spend. We, we don't even go on trips anymore. Have fun. We get, they get stuck just clicking through Coinbase hours at a time. It's destroying their lives. And I, I think I'm the one who has to stop this whole thing from happening. You know? Like, it's literally <laughs> up to me. If I don't do it, no one else will. 